0: Right now humankind is on a crash course with Mother Nature and there's no planet B. Governments and mass media seem intent on sedating our urgency to act. The Disrupting Disaster podcast series will offer education, insight, interviews and opportunities to act and is proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media.
1: welcome along to our second edition of Disrupting Disaster. I'm James Lush and uh, with me once again Charlie Caruso as we look at an interesting topic today as we follow on from our introductory podcast last week where we literally just talked about why we're doing this and who we are and, and what we're aiming to get out of it. We thought we'd get straight into it, straight onto the job in hand and talk about some of the issues that we face on a daily basis with regards to the climate change issues. And one of them, of course, is the uh, the impact that we have through travelling. And given the fact that today I'm in the UK and Charlie is in Perth, it was a good opportunity to start to look at that. Charlie, you do a lot of travelling as well. Uh, we're always flying around, we're always driving around. There's an impact that comes from our travelling.
2: Yeah, there is. And I think one of the things that uh, we want to focus on or, or um, make a, a theme with this podcast series is to, to accept that uh, we, we can't be the naysayers and the finger pointers and to accept that there is always going to be a level of hypocrisy um, because our lifestyles are what they are. And the, instead of sort of trying to live this perfect lifestyle of zero emissions, I think it's a matter of embracing that the realities are what they are and we need to look at solutions to reduce those impacts and, and be more aware about actually what those impacts are. And obviously, the fact that you've um, you're over in the UK presented such a great opportunity for us to talk about travelling and air travel and and what that impact is and how we could potentially reduce it.
1: It's a great point. We do it, and most of the time, most of the people don't even give it a thought as to what that impact is, how much pollution is coming out as a result of being on that plane. So, uh, this podcast is going to break it down, and you have been like a little detective getting behind the scenes and finding out all the facts and figures that are involved in this particular part of our daily lives. And the the, 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 the bare truth is the stats are alarming. Uh, we do it. Of course, we have to do it. It is the way that our world is geared at the moment. But it's it's something that we can address. And we, we thought in this podcast, let's talk about that impact. But let's talk about what can be done to potentially offset some of the that damage that we are doing through our lifestyles that we lead. So let's start, if we can, Charlie, by talking about, in particular, we're going to talk about air travel today. Let's talk about that impact.
2: Well, the reality is um, that, you know, the aviation industry likes to point out that air travel uh, emissions really only account for between 1.5 and 2% of global emissions. But it's sort of a conflicting little stat, as all stats are, and uh, there is a lot of numbers that fly around on this topic. But the reality is, it's low because not everyone around the world can afford to fly. So we're really talking about the Western uh, worlds. And that's why, I mean, you can skew the, the proportion of this impact, you know, lots of different ways. But a, a paper that was published by the Environmental Science and Technology Journal, I did say something that was pretty alarming, um, which was if we focus on the impact over the next five years alone, then planes currently account for more global warming than all the cars on the world's roads and passenger per mile. So it turns out that flying uh, might be actually an average of 50 times worse than driving in terms of the five-year warming impact. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big proportion of, you know, I think in some of the stats, is about 50% of someone's uh, contribution to carbon in a year is their flying. So it's significant. It's a big area that we need to focus on.
1: <laughs> it is alarming. And I know you're going to hit me with the stats but by the end of this podcast as to, you know, what my uh, impact was just making a journey from, you know, one side of the world to the other. But in the meantime, what can we do about this? How on earth can we make a, 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 a beneficial impact, given the fact that our lifestyles do often demand a lot of travel? How do we how do we counter that? Well,
2: the reality is uh, most of us, albeit some of the people we interviewed uh, that we'll, we'll sort of show the clips of in a minute, um, didn't even know it existed. But most of us do when we're booking a flight, we see the carbon offset option. And I'll be really honest, because there's no point trying to pretend I've never done it. I've never, and I like to think of myself as being quite, you know, environmentally friendly and and try and do the right thing, but I've never done it. And the reason I've never opted in is because I was so skeptical whether that $2, $5 or whatever they were asking for was actually going to go to anything worthwhile. And, you know, they're asking me about insurance that I don't need and, you know, hire a car in that destination and hotels. And there's all these, you know, buy more, buy more. Carbon is just in along that, and it's never really occurred to me that there's much point to do it. Um, and so the carbon offset, you know, we we felt that needed a little bit more review um, as to does that actually create a easy option for us to reduce our impact. And um, you know, after doing a fair amount of research this week, I've actually come to the uh, you know, decision that it does um, but it, we need to sort of focus and and encourage the airlines to spend a bit more time trying to explain just exactly where that money goes.
1: So you hit the streets and you decided to ask whether people actually thought the opt-in to carbon offset programs was worthwhile or whether they'd actually chosen to do so.
2: Yeah I did because the um, the research that we conducted that, that exists isn't a uh, an exciting one. I think there was um, a 2008 analysis that suggested less than 1% of Qantas and Virgin passengers uh, elected to pay the offset and but that was 2008 which is shockingly quite a long time ago and um, and then I looked in, in a little bit more and Qantas reported in the 2012 and 13 period that the offset that they bought so the carbon offset was only a hundred and eighty thousand Um, tons of carbon despite the fact that that same year they emitted 11 million tons of carbon so that's roughly 1.6% was offset which is hardly an inspiring figure so we know that not a lot of people are doing it but what we wanted to do was to actually ask them why and uh, here's a little bit of what they had to say. So do you when you're booking a flight do you choose the carbon offset option? No. No I don't. No.
1: No. Not really. No.
2: And why is that? Um, Usually because I'm faced with a big purchase. For me, you know, a flight's a really significant purchase. And so I'm already feeling pretty sensitive to the price parting with that much money. And so even though it might just be a little bit extra, I'm already so, I don't know, upset by parting with that much money that I don't want to add to it. Um, Also, I don't really know what that means. I'm not really sure what the carbon offset, you know, price means the way I figure I'm still going to be on the same seat on the same plane, which is doing the same impact to the environment. So I haven't really ever seen an explanation for what that money is spent on.
0: It hasn't really occurred to me to to really offset my carbon. The plane's going to take off anyway. Whether I'm in that seat or not is probably... Uh, not the first thing that I think of. I just make sure that I've got a seat either by the window or by the aisle. I hate being stuck in the middle. Because I think the airline should be offsetting it themselves. Yeah, and I don't know where the money is probably going. Like, I don't actually know what they're going to do with it. I think it's just a profit, or the extra profit for them. Because I don't know whether the money actually goes there and it increases the price of the ticket.
1: Um, I just don't really think about it. I just book wherever i need to go i've never really thought about it
2: when booking a flight do you use the carbon offset option uh yes i do every single time yes i've actually got it set as a default now fabulous and why is it that you've decided to do that um when it first appeared i actually thought it was good that uh, airlines were getting a bit proactive about the environment so i thought that i should actually do my part as well
1: yes because it's easy feels good
2: every time and why is that I like to think I'm doing a little bit for the environment. So you're happy to pay a little bit extra, even if it's, say, it was $70 extra? Yeah, I'd be willing to do that. When you look at it, as opposed to the cost of the flights, it's not that much.
1: I suppose nothing that uh, stands out there as being overly surprising. Um, Cost, people feel probably that they're already paying enough for an airfare, so why should they uh, put any extras on top of that? But interesting, the trust side of things, that they don't really trust the airlines with how that money's being spent Charlie
2: well I think that um, we, we're we're a skeptical bunch and you know the whole disaster of the carbon tax here in Australia has built I think a lot of skepticism of that whole idea of buying carbon and what does that mean and I and I don't think it's not just the airlines I don't think the government or really anyone has presented the idea of carbon offsetting in any way that makes it engaging or um, has connected to us I think is a you know obviously we're talking from an Australian perspective but um, I I just think that that's been a big part of the puzzle that's been missing is that information about clarity and actually understanding where that money's going and um, you know the fact that we distrust them is really based out of a lack of information and so I think that's One of the angles we wanted to to talk with uh, Virgin Australia and Qantas on as to why they thought that people were resisting and why the numbers were so low however Qantas didn't get back to us in time for this podcast Uh, but we did get the opportunity to speak with Robert Wood who's the head of sustainability at Virgin Australia and here's a little bit about what he had to say and from our conversation earlier this week. Well, thanks so much uh, for speaking to us. Um, One of the questions that we wanted to to find out is how many Virgin Australia customers are actually opting into the carbon offset options that that you guys provide?
0: Uh, Look, it's not something we give out specific information about, but I can tell you that as a percentage, it's in the single digits for our customers. It does vary uh, a little bit depending on time of year and the nature of the destination, Um, and it also uh, varies demographically, but we we tend not to give out the specifics of the information.
2: Okay. Um, Well, from the research we've also conducted, which admittedly is on the uh, smaller scale than what you will have um, access to, we're we're getting um, kind of a small amount of people that are actually choosing to to opt in. Do you have any idea why you think that might be so low?
0: Uh, well, I think it, it all depends on your perspective about what's low. I mean, I think Australians um, are actually quite proactive in this space as people who choose to, to opt in. Um, I think Australia has numbers that are well above global averages in terms of airline voluntary offset programs, so it's it's certainly, you know, it's not 50% of people that are choosing to opt in, but, but it, I guess it's a matter of perspective. I think some of it's um, down to uh, information. I think certainly, you know, we need to continue to promote uh, the message about uh, the value of offsetting and the opportunities to offset. I think some of it's down to potentially some confusion um, out there and, uh, you know, amongst our customers as to the interaction of certain, you know, government schemes like a carbon tax and a voluntary offset program. So again. We need to be um, clear in our communications about why, um, why the voluntary offset program exists and, um, you know, the benefits of opting into that program. Yeah,
2: because it's interesting. That's more or less what we found. Um, we, we did quite a few interviews with people and I think the most common reason is that there was scepticism as to would this money even be going to anywhere I don't even you know at that point of purchase um, you know that they didn't feel that the information was there for them to be able to say absolutely I know that this money is going to create impact so is there something that Virgin Australia are looking into in terms of um, any sort of campaign to bring about more awareness about what actually you guys are doing?
0: Uh, look, I guess it's it's something we're always looking to do to promote and grow the scheme. Um, one thing we did in response to customer feedback um, more than 12 months ago was we, um, we moved all of our carbon abatement purchasing uh, onshore, so we're buying carbon abatement through Australian projects and specifically we have a partnership with the Tasmanian Land Conservancy and that was in response to customer feedback that... They wanted to understand some causal nexus between their flight and, you know, a tangible project that they could, you know, research and look into and and understand. And um, certainly we, you know, really proud of the partnership we have with the Tasmanian Land Conservancy. We really think they're doing some great work.
2: Because that was my next question. Uh, so what is it that the money, where does the money go to? And um, and Virgin have on their website uh, the, the, the Tasmanian Land Conservatory, which, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, manages over 30,000 hectares of um, habitat. So uh, is that something... So in comparison, uh, Qantas has quite a few different uh, schemes, but Virgin just focuses on the one?
0: Uh, we have historically purchased... Carbon abatement through a number of different projects, and and that's what um, Qantas is doing. Is they're they're purchasing abatement across a number of projects, and you know certainly there's a lot of really good projects out there in the market. Um, We've taken the approach that we really wanted to form a partnership with um, a specific partner that, as I said, we think you know resonates with our customer base. Um, So what the Tasmanian Land Conservancy. Um, are doing, and, and the, the abatement that we're buying from them relates to a project called the New Leaf Carbon Project. And specifically, you, know, you can get very technical very quickly in the carbon space, but they have a project under the verified carbon standard which involves the purchase of 28,000 hectares of former Guns timber estate that was um, due to be logged. Uh, They privately financed and purchased that estate and they've got about 12,500 hectares of that land that they purchased set up as a carbon reserve um, under the verified carbon standard methodology that allows them to calculate the carbon sequestered um, as a result of that property not being deforested and they generate carbon uh, permits which we're then purchasing off them.
2: Perhaps if more of our listeners are aware of the the kind of uh, investment that that carbon offset program is actually having, um, hopefully that more will opt in. Um, But could you tell me some of the other initiatives that Virgin Australia are currently participating in to reduce the carbon impact?
0: Yeah, sure. And I guess we have um, have a multi-pronged approach um, to use that jargon. Uh, the, the largest single impact we have as a business environmentally is from the emissions associated with the combustion of fuel. Obviously, being an airline, um, at the moment, we can't decouple our activity from, um, from the utilisation of fossil-based jet fuel. So we are a large fuel user, therefore we produce a significant quantity of emissions. So the main thing we focus on, um, because about 98% of our direct emissions come from um, that combustion of fuel is fuel efficiency. So we look at um, maintaining a young fuel-efficient fleet, which is really important because uh, younger aircraft are a lot more fuel-efficient. And then we have a very extensive fuel-efficiency program which looks at um, how we operate those aircraft, which aircraft we fly on particular routes, um, the weight of those aircraft. We have a number of pilots and and full-time staff dedicated to Analyzing how we can better utilise those aircraft to save fuel and therefore save emissions. We also look at a range of things like you know, reducing electricity use in the business. So, um, Like a lot of businesses, we're focused on carbon associated with our on-ground operations. Um, we're seeking to significantly increase our recycling rates as a business, both in the air and on the ground. So we have a range of uh, things that we're doing directly. We're also you know, really engaged in the Establishment of the biofuels industry, the advanced biofuels industry. So we do a lot of work with government project developers and um, with our partners, Boeing and Airbus, looking at opportunities to stimulate that biofuels market and really get it to fruition as quickly as possible because that's going to be critical to aviation decarbonising in the longer term.
2: So that's quite a a range of things. Understandably, you guys are going to always use fuel until there becomes something that there is a genuine um, alternative that makes business sense. The the reality is, I think from the the latest annual report on your website in 2013, it was 3.2 million tonnes of CO2E. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I mean, so it's significant. But I mean, do you feel that like there is also a role that uh, consumers need to, to actively um, play in this process? I mean, should we even be given a choice?
0: Oh, look, I think you know we're in favour of choice because we like our customers to um, to tell us what they what, what they seek, and then you know we we tend to follow customer-led demand. So choice is a good thing. Um, I think certainly it's clearly something that business. Recognises is important, and certainly our business recognises that um, that it's something our customers want to see is environmental action, but also it's something as a business that we need to address for the sustainability of our industry longer term. So, you know, one of the one of the things that aviation globally is doing is that it's seeking to set itself um, a series of carbon targets um, through its industry body, the International Air Transport Association, um, and. The really critical one of those is carbon neutral growth for the industry from 2020, which is, um, which is something that you know, very few other, if any other, major industries have set themselves. So aviation is conscious that although the emissions of the industry are only 2 to 3% of global emissions, it's really important that they be addressed for the long-term sustainability of the industry and obviously for the benefit of uh, the planet longer term.
2: Um, The last question I have for you is um, do you have in the in-flight education um, anything about, you know, um, a video or... Um, radio programs or podcasts or anything that uh, your customers, while they're on flight, can be uh, further educated about the environment and climate change and and how they can reduce impact?
0: Our in-flight entertainment changes regularly, so um, the programming often has an environmental flavour. At the moment, I think last time I flew, there was a series of a really interesting documentaries on our in-flight entertainment looking at things like um, sustainability of food production in Africa and other parts of the world, um, looking at water use and water efficiency. We, we don't have a specific program on there about the offsetting program, although I'd love to produce one. It's a great idea and I'm sure that um, we could get some, some great buy-in from the Tasmanian Land Conservancy because they've certainly got some beautiful images on their website of the project and um, it's got some terrific uh, benefits beyond just carbon in terms of biodiversity and things. So um, it's a, it's an idea I will take up.
2: Well, thank you so much. That's a great outcome for us, even if it's something that you guys can maybe have a discussion about. Uh, for us, we would really like to see more of Australians and and across the world opting into something that we sort of have done our research and see that it's quite valuable in terms of, um, as you said, the consumer-led demand to start to seriously look at reducing our carbon footprint when we travel. Thank you so much for your time on this and uh, if anyone wants to find out more about the uh, sustainability initiatives that Virgin Australia are doing, they do have a great website online and they've got a lot of information that you can find out there.
0: Thanks, Fitami. I'd just also like to say, because I think you raised a really important point that I didn't touch on earlier in relation to um, where does the money go and the benefits of the program. The programs in Australia, the our program is administered through the National Carbon Offset Standards, so it's actually a government-administered program, and we have an incredibly detailed process we go through to document how we actually calculate the emissions per seat and per sector, and that's audited every second year independently, and every year we submit detailed reports to the government. So it's a very transparent process. Um, so if anyone wants any more detail about that, too, like, um, welcome, is send them to the... Uh, the website, uh, through the Department of Environment, the National Carbon Offset Standard website, has lots of information there.
2: Thanks again, Robert Wood. Your head of Sustainability at Virgin Australia. I really appreciate your input in uh, taking your time out to talk about this topic.
1: It's my pleasure. I, I think that's so interesting. I mean, he's very... Uh, he's come obviously very clean, he, excuse the pun, but he's been very clean in what he's said, very clear in what he says. And I think he's uh, ambitious to do more. What What is surprising in what I hear there is the fact that it's potentially a little bit of a wake-up call. You you just putting that call into him and having this conversation with him, it almost sort of stirred up, yes, we probably should be doing more. The other thing that I thought was really interesting from this is obviously they, they, they have put their hand up and said, yes, we are going to potentially do more. You've sort of awakened that desire within us. The other thing that stood out for me was that, why don't we just have this on as mandatory? in Every fare that you pay, it's almost like the box is already ticked. You can untick it. Of course, that choice is there, but it's already there. And if there was a little bit of an explanation around it, what that money goes towards, maybe a tiny little explanation video or a little story or something, more people would be far more inclined, I think, to say, well, look, it's only a few dollars. I'm just going to keep that box ticked.
2: That's an interesting one. I mean, it actually stirs up quite a because I had the feeling of just don't give anyone an option, whether even to opt out, just package it, it's only a few dollars into the price of the flights, and let's just do the whole world a load of good. Because I mean, if you add Qantas, Virgin, um, and Jetstar up in terms of uh, carbon emitted, it's over like four, 14.7 million or something ridiculous, of tons of, uh, of carbon, just two of the, the three of them in one year. And so I just like, well, surely it just makes sense to just do it, right? It's only a few dollars and, and you're putting the cost onto the customers. But then, you know, he raised the, the need for choice. So the whole just automatically opting it in um, is a good one because they can opt out. But what I've sort of really tried to, ha- to get my head around this as an issue, I think what could be the issue in not having that conscious choice Is that people are still not connected and engaged with the problem and people are still not actively saying I'm willing to forego a few dollars because I think that this is important and I think if we miss that we start looking at a bigger problem where all companies shouldn't all companies be offsetting regardless and putting that cost onto their customers shouldn't we automatically be doing that, uh, putting our own sort of form of carbon tax into the system. And I think that that sort of, if you expect the airlines to start doing it, you've got to start looking at, you know, the banks and and all organisations, and that becomes quite a complex little, um, you know, sort of thing to get your head around.
1: From a, from an Australian perspective, that's almost like every corporation uh, actually adding its own carbon tax voluntarily for the public to pay or the customer to pay. And I think that's an interesting conversation to be had. There'll be lots of you say, that's ridiculous, it's totally unfeasible. And also, how do we know that it's not just a few extra dollars that you're going to put on the bill, which isn't going to go to where it should be going?
2: OK, so that point's an interesting one, I think, is the crux of what I've uh, you know we've gone through with the research here. Uh, the reality is, um, we've got something here in Australia called the National Carbon Offset Schedule or Standard, and we've got links to it on on the website. And this is something that uh, Robert would brought to my attention. It's actually one of the world's leading uh, standards in terms of reporting, and um, you know the, the amount of effort that they have to go. It's quite rigorous in terms of reporting, and it it. What that means is if they are registered, and there are actually quite a lot of banks that are registered, that shocked me a little bit. I remember seeing Westpac there, Crown Casinos registered. There's a lot of other organisations beyond the airlines. It's almost like if if they are reporting to this agency, they can't be lying because the amount of reporting is so rigorous. And I think that that's been maybe a fundamental um, you know, mistake to, to not let people know that there is actually quite a rigorous um regulatory body that uh, makes sure that they're not just putting that money to extra profit, that they are actually buying carbon offsets. And not only that, the carbon offsets they're buying have been approved by this agency and, and made sure that they are actually going to make it an impact. So I think that's one of the important things to take away, and I certainly have, is that it is, um, there is a standard and it's, and it's very, it's public, anyone can look into it and it's, it, it, If if they're through that body and they're approved, they can't actually do anything but buy the carbon.
1: Okay, let's just explore this as simply as we possibly can, Charlie. I want you to talk about... The research that you've done with regards to some of these credits, the, 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 for example, with Virgin and, and other airlines, they're putting these credits towards something positive. And that's the whole point of this podcast. We're trying to also, whilst uh, alerting people to to the, some of the damage that's being done, to the positives that can come from this. So let's just talk about the, the abatement credits and, and what it means if we do potentially tick that box and say, yes, a few dollars more, but it's worthwhile
2: basically on behalf of customers who opt in to offset the carbon um they are set and buy an abatement credit uh, to the tasmanian land conservatory and especially the new leaf carbon estate program which again has all been you know accredited and, and confirmed that they're doing the right thing and it's actually valuable um, but it is worthwhile understanding how that actually works because it's easy to be quite skeptical Are you use planting trees that doesn't seem like it's much much worth of anything but um So the theory holds more or less that when a forest is intact, the trees um, fix carbon dioxide from the air into their wood and retain it for centuries. And it's also worth noting in Tasmania, there are some trees that are 18,000 years old, which is quite interesting. I never knew that so uh, however when forests are logged most of the wood is processed into short-lived products like paper um, and and they end up in landfill rotting and generating carbon dioxide so they do the reverse of actually storing it and and preserving it and giving us oxygen so the the TLC manages uh hectares of old forest which was actually due to be logged so they've stopped that logging and this project also ensures that it's also protected for a further 25 years. So the other thing that's worth noting that um, the, the project estimates that the estate is able to prevent over 50,000 tonnes of CO2 from entering the atmosphere. So if you can kind of equate that, if, we're, if, if your money is going to um, this fund, and essentially this fund is constantly looking to buy more forest, that 50,000 tonnes per year is only going to grow. And um, that's, you know, not forgetting the oxygen adds. If we're just looking at the carbon offset, that means that they're preventing what would have, might have otherwise been entered into the atmosphere by securing landhold and preventing... the logging of, of more and more forests. The more and more dollars you put in, the more and more forests that can be um, protected. And you know, there's a lot of other environmental benefits of that. Uh, certainly in Tasmania, it's uh, the home of the Tasmanian devil and, and a lot of um, really endangered species. And there's a lot of obviously it's trees don't just do storing carbon and creating oxygen. They, they have a lot bigger role to play in the ecosystem. So there's all of those. But if you're focusing on carbon, it's basically stopping carbon entering the atmosphere, which might have otherwise happened if capitalists and, you know, the capitalism system is allowed to happen and they're, they're logged for for commercial purposes.
1: Okay, fascinating. It's really interesting. And let's just end finally by talking about what this means for the future, because I think... Uh, as human beings, we think, well, surely, you know, a couple of dollars extra, it, it's not really going to make an impact. I mean, you know, what are we going to buy? A branch of a tree, not, le- not necessarily a tree tree. Um, and, and there is that really, it just feels like I'm just sort of kind of uh, uh, going against the tide. A little. It's still not going to make an impact. So let's talk about finally the, the, the way that we can positively make an impact and how potentially in the future if we all got on board and more people were aware of this. And everyone who listened to this and potentially shared it and you know, maybe read this, the, the, the blog that goes with this, will suddenly think, you know, this is worth doing because if we all do it, look what impact we can have.
2: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, basically, if, if we're looking at the, the abatement target we have right now, which is two, three, six million tonnes, and let's get crazy and say every Qantas, Jetstar and Virgin customers opted to offset their carbon by paying an extra $2 or whatever to book their flights. That's 14.7 million tons of reduction in one year, which equates to six percent of our annual target. Which is huge. It is huge. It's a big chunk. Um, you know, still crazy, but probably a little bit more realistic. Let's say 10 percent of the uh, Australian flying customers um, offset their carbon, and um, that could you know result in 1.47 tons of carbon being offset. And, and putting that into perspective, I mean, that equates to roughly 7.6 million Kyoto-approved trees being planted or halving the yearly emissions of about 100,000 Australians. Or, um, so let's say it's me and I'm going to put all of that abatement to me personally, 10 generations um, of my future progeny up to the year 2,363, which just seems crazy, will be carbon neutral. For their lives so that's insane so we're talking you know those two dollars or five dollars to offset can genuinely help but it helps in the way that it's protecting forests from being logged and um, allowing carbon to be captured and not uh you know put into the atmosphere which is ultimately not making uh the planet very happy at the moment
1: brilliant Brilliant. And it, it's a great way of hopefully ending on a positive note, because it does show that if we all do do this, it does make a difference. And hopefully the airlines, maybe in in hearing this for themselves, might think, well, we need to promote this more. There seems to be no reason why that couldn't be the case. Um, if you've enjoyed this, uh, please do uh, share it with others, um, add a comment or two. And we'd love to keep the conversation going, but obviously each week we'll take on something else um we hopefully also maybe we'll get Qantas's response on this and we can give you a, a lowdown on that uh, sometime in the future as well but keep the conversation going keep keep, uh, keep keep the chatter happening the more chatter the better uh via twitter facebook or actually now on our newly constructed website Charlie you've been a, a terrific little detective this week you've you've got under the surface and um I think it's a really great start thank you so much for doing that for us
2: No, it was my pleasure. And I'm just going to leave you with a departing stack. because I I kind of like this one the most. If 100% of Australian flyers opted to uh, carbon offset, that essentially neutralizes the annual carbon emissions of not only Tasmania, but the Northern Territory and the ACT. It's pretty significant. (laughs) So um, do your research. We'll provide the links on, on the website to do your own sort of due diligence, but Uh, The fact remains those $2 and $5 is less than a lotto ticket um, or a scratchy. And, you know, making that decision uh, can genuinely make a change for the better.
1: Charlie, thank you. We'll have another edition of Disrupting Disaster at the same time next week.
0: You've been listening to Disrupting Disaster, proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media. This is your journey too. Let's
1: continue this conversation together. Until next week.